This is the Inside Track podcast by the BVRLA. Join us as we speak to high-profile guests from across rental, leasing and fleet as they discuss their careers, react to the latest news and look at what may be coming in the future. Hello and welcome to the BVRLA's Inside Track podcast. Um, I'm pleased today to be joined by three three member representatives from across our leasing broker community. Um, and today we'll be putting a spotlight on that sector, um, exploring what's going on at the moment, what's the current situation, and how that's likely to move over the next six months, year beyond, um, including any of the products that are really growing in popularity um, and how conversations are changing. Um, we'll jump straight in. I'll hand over to my guest to give a quick introduction um, and then we'll get stuck in. Thanks, Adam. Um, so I'm Martin Brown. I'm scared to admit that I'm 27 years in the leasing broker segment, so um, quite a shift, as some would say. I'm a chair and shareholder of Fleet Alliance Intelligent Car Leasing. We manage just over 30,000 vehicles on behalf of our clients. We have a split between Fleet Alliance, which is our main business-to-business output, and Intelligent Car Leasing, which is consumer. So that's a potted history of my background. Good morning, everybody. My name is Mark McLaughlin. Like Martin, I think I'm similar, actually, probably 25 to 30 years in the sector. I do look older than Martin, which I'm acutely aware of, which uh, <laughs> which isn't right. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm the managing director and, and founder of uh, Green Art Vehicles, formerly uh, known as, as Keyfleet. We've been around for around 15 years now. Over the last few years, we've uh, certainly doubled down and focused on the B2B sector. We're very active with EV, uh, salary sacrifice, etc. Um, we work in, in SME almost exclusively, um, and we're part of a, a larger organisation called Green Arc, which um, bought Keyfleet in November last year, which I think is quite interesting given the, you know, the move towards electrification that an energy business is interested in, in our company. And uh, we, we kind of provide a, a holistic solution for SMEs to transition to EV that includes charging and solar and batteries and vehicles and the whole kind of nine yards, really. Thank you, Mark. Um, good morning. I'm Paul Gordon, um, head of sales at GoFor. We're a Scottish-based uh, leasing broker. Um, I'm the junior out of the bunch today. Seven years in uh, the broker leasing broker industry. Um, twenty, almost twenty years in in the motor trade, coming from from dealership background. Um, GoFor. We are very similar to to Mark and and Greenock and uh, our business model. It's um, SME. Um, primarily B2B. Um, we've recently um, introduced ourselves to the salary sacrifice market, which uh, we'll probably go into in the, in the podcast today. Um, but we've been in business 18, 18 years. Um, so yeah, first time on BVRLA podcast. So thanks for the invite. Absolute pleasure and great to have you all with us uh, today. And if if I just start by giving a bit of a setting the scene at a very broad level, um, we do a, a biannual review report of the leasing broker sector here at the BVRLA. The latest figures we released in April show that broadly volume is, is flat. Um, obviously, the, the vehicle supply shortages and the issues there have been very well documented and hit, I think, leasing brokers particularly hard. So where we're seeing that it's flat is because vehicles are being held on held on fleets or held within, within brokers for longer. Um, and then we're also seeing that that position has been maintained by the popularity of business contract hire where there's been sort of a real a real surge over the last year or so um, so mark if i come to you first on this in in the face of those supply challenges the cost of living crisis 
Um, how are you seeing things at the moment? Um, it's a really strange time. I've said this a few few times to people. It's it's simultaneously the most challenging period I can remember in the market and also the most exciting. Um, there's lots of new product, new tech, um, you know, what's, um, you know, different products available to consumers and businesses in terms of funding. Um, but let's be honest, you know, supply chain has been really, really tough. And that is easing a little bit at the moment. We are seeing more vehicles coming through. We had a, a good uh, delivery month in March. Certainly the the proportion of vehicles in the order bank versus the, the order take is coming back in line a little bit. Um, we're seeing changes in 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 product popularity as well certainly business contract higher we saw a few years ago in, in 2030 that, that there was a bit of a perfect storm emerging for businesses to want to want to bring uh, drivers back into fleet to go electric uh, as well so we're you know the the figures that are out from the BBRLA certainly mirror what we're experiencing and you know we, we've seen our business shift from perhaps um 60 40 percent in favor of business contract hire a number of years ago so i think we're 99 percent b2b now yeah. um which is probably about as high as it gets in the market and, and unashamedly we, we are very much pointed in that direction and we think that you know um even though we are dealing with a b2b audience certainly with products like salary sacrifice we still see there's a, a retail sales conduct and a consumer that that has a need to select the right vehicle and be very very clear about the package that they're taking so i think in summary i would say um it's, it's a white knuckle ride <laughs> but there are there are there are our opportunities and um it's feeling as though things are coming back a little bit now that's good and paul i see you nodding along there um how would you say it's going yeah i would um i would agree with mark uh, very similar f for ourselves there was um there's been a big shift back to to business contract hire there's some clarity um benefit and kind rates to 27 28 which is allowing um allowing fleets to make decisions for, for, for a longer term. Um, in terms of supply, it um, feels slightly different 2023 to, to last year. Um, we're in a situation now where, as Mark says, the, the, the order take um, comparison to the order bank is, um, is reducing, but we're actually finding ourselves in a, in a strange situation with some supply where vehicles are actually coming in quicker than expected. So we've been proactive in the, the approach to replacing clients' vehicles um, 12 months in advance, but now we're actually finding some manufacturers delivering vehicles in advance of the required date and and, and we're getting some pressure to have those vehicles delivered um, for, for their numbers. So um, that's that's a bit of a challenge, um, but but there's, there's, there's challenges every day. I think it's how we support our clients in terms of um, increased costs, so reduction in terms, but, but managing fleets to ensure that we're we're using all the tech available to to ensure that mileages are managed correctly, conditions are the vehicles are, are managed correctly as well to reduce those costs at, at the end of contracts because the rates are are, are increasing. But um, yeah, a bit more flexi lease as well to manage um, to manage kind of extension or contract um, contracts going into the kind of fifth year, etc. Um, so it's um, it's making us think on our feet a little, and it has been for the last kind of. 24 months but i think that's what makes us makes us all a bit better at what we do mm, definitely and i think we've definitely seen that particularly within our our leasing broker members that adaptability that sort of innovative streak to sort of pivot with how things are changing i think has been you know, fairly universal and it's good to hear obviously that's 
that's how you're seeing it. I guess maybe at the peak of the supply challenges last year, there were a lot of reports of, you know, you know, not certain vehicles just not being available or having to have those conversations about which specs, you know, customers would or wouldn't be be willing to accept. Um, Martin, have you are they a conversations you found that you were were having to have, and then B is that maybe changing now where it's a bit easier to get the right vehicle for a customer's primary needs instead of having to find that compromise. Yeah, there's no doubt it's easier. I think echoing what both the guys said. I mean, I think what I would say is it's pockets though, because if someone, you know, we all have the um, friends and family deals that we have to contend with. And for any of my friends and family that I'm going to go on and offend now, I really don't want to do your cars. But anyway, so no, I mean, <laughs> if when they ask me what availability is like, I say, you know, it's two weeks or two years. And I think that's sort of the way that, that I, I would yeah. sum up some manufacturers are nailed on. Echoing again what Paul said, we get some stock um, turning up. So it's much easier. I mean, it's significantly improved in, in the supply side. I don't think the demand uh, side is quite there yet. I think there's still a bit of instability with all the, I'm not going to go into the reasons, we know what the reasons are in terms of the, the economic outlook. So I don't quite feel that we've nailed that, but I think there were times last year that you were looking at weak supply and sort of up and down demand. So to have one end or one side of it resolving or improving is, is significant. One thing I'd like to, I'm slightly off piece, Adam, is the general theme of the increasing popularity of, of BCH. And I'm posing a question. I'm not sure that there is a specific increased popularity in, in business contract hire, or it's a relative question that the demand in the consumer side is going down. I think there's no doubt that as we do more company cars, more EVs, more salary sacrifice, that, that BCH will We'll get some growth there, but I, I mean, it's it's maybe a question for for the group. I know the guys don't operate much in the consumer space, but I wonder if it's actually more that well, the the reason BCH is higher is just because the demand has dropped in the consumer side. I, I, I think if I if I can say that one thing we're noticing, Martin, is uh, certainly uh, a move back for for higher rate taxpayers into uh, business contract hire. Excuse me, um, from a car allowance. Um, with, with with the evident benefits to to their their, their pay packet, um, also with maybe the partner um, in, in a salary sacrifice scheme if you're a high rate taxpayer that that can work. Wouldn't have any figures surrounding that, but that's certainly what we've been noticing from decision makers within businesses that 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 we deal with. So that would be the shift that that, that we are noticing. So I, I would agree with that, Paul. I think it, it, you know I, I used to say there was a spell that. If owner managed businesses, particularly in the SME space, it would be the, the the owners drive a Range Rover and they take a cash allowance would be the, the typical outlook. Now it would tend to be the driver Porsche Taycan yep. and it's an electric yep. vehicle and they've gone back to company car. So so I would say that. So I guess I guess maybe the question is how much of this is the increased popularity back to BCH and back to company car and how much of that is counterbalanced by arguably a, a falling consumer demand. 
Yeah, I would mean, <clears throat> echo what Paul said. Really, we're we're definitely seeing the the same type of thing for for car allowance. Um, is that at the expense of what would have been personal contract hire? Perhaps I do think a lot of uh, the personal contract hire market is an extension at the moment, or going to used vehicles. I mean, we're we're not in that space currently, but I mean, it's it's a tough gig to sell an EV to a private individual at the moment. Yeah. You know, yeah. unless they've unless they've got a real desirability for the car, or they have they have uh, an environment agenda um, it certainly isn't a, a cost um, saving exercise certainly if there's not significant mileage to offset capital cost if you will um, but I also see as well that you know we company cars were for a long time a benefit to be desired by employees and um, recently over the last kind of 10 to 20 years that's become less so um, and hopefully the government just gets the tax regime right so they remain a benefit and continue to support that take up within the VCH sector. And then I guess on, on that point you mentioned there about them perhaps being you know, a business perk and you know referencing the mileage Obviously, over the last two or three years now, I suppose, working from home is is just what most people do. I think two or three of us right now are, are dialed in from home instead of the office. Are you finding that that's changing motivations towards what cars people take maybe or what deals they go for because their mileage is a fraction of what it used to be perhaps? If I could take that, um, Adam, I, I, there's, there's so many moving parts in the sector just now that Ordinarily, you would say, okay, mileages are reducing, so therefore people can take a better car. But with all the other pressures we've had, inflationary and um, increased supply and falling residual values, almost the opposite effect. It's, it's hard to get people still into, into the bandings that they were in before. So that's moving. Um, Manufacturer discounts when supply was short, um, also moving, you know, as, as supply eases, we think we think that will change. So it's one of those questions that's really, really difficult to answer. I don't know what the guys would think. I mean, I think we can all give anecdotal um, points and say, this is where it's going, this is where it's going. But there's so much going on. I think Mark alluded to it earlier um, that it's hard to pinpoint. So there are, there are lots of changing patterns, but it's such a moving feast just now. There's, there's something for me that I, I can't quite um, substantiate this, but there's a feeling that maybe post-pandemic there's a focus on efficiency, frugality, um, some, something along those lines, which I think maybe makes people more inclined to take a lesser mileage EV, etc. I'm not again. I have no evidence for that other than just a a feel for some of the conversations and some of the the feedback that we're getting. Um, but yeah, that's certainly the, you know the way that way that I see it. Yeah, I, I think from our perspective, uh, it comes down to, to, to kind of the writing of, of policy. Um, when we engage with, with SME customers, a lot of the time there is still um, a, a drive towards trying to phase out company cars. Um, and and when when you sit down and have a, a sensible conversation about duty of care, um, about safety of drivers, and about also their ESG uh, credentials as as an organisation, how they monitor, how they drive down their their carbon footprint, it becomes quite apparent that that it's not quite as simple as just phasing out giving people a, a car allowance, especially when individuals are concerned about their own. Uh, impact, environmental impact as well. So I think that that helps drive the conversation towards a, 
a more a kind of decarbonisation of fleet vehicles and a continuation of 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 policies to have to have um, company company cars. Mm. The, just to come in, if I may, there. I mean, you mentioned ESG, Paul. I, I think we would probably list that as a number one behavioural driver yeah. for for the SMEs that we're speaking to. It isn't necessarily. I would say that recruitment retention is above cost, as is ESG carbon reduction. The the, the big driver being that they will perhaps not be in a position to continue to win that public sector or corporate contract going forward if they do not introduce low carbon measures within their business. And we're, we're certainly finding that that's uh, very prominent in the conversations that we're well, having. Or, or also, I mean, win, win the best, attract the best talent. Mm. You know, if 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 you sit one job, buy another job, and and you maybe get a salary sacrifice scheme as part of your package, or you, you you've got a, a an electric and an EV option as a company car, on one role, and you, and you maybe don't in the other. I, th- I think we would know what way most candidates would would go. So, um, yeah, I think it's uh, incredibly important for organisations to, to to get their ESG uh, policies correct. And you're you're finding that that's more of a customer or prospective customers are coming to you with their ESG piece in mind as opposed to you having to say this is good for your ESG like it's on their radar and it's you know part of their shopping list almost yeah 100% I would, I would say so and and I think Mark mentioned it that the, the, the understanding is there that, that it might not be cost neutral um, to them but 2030 is coming around quickly um, and companies are beginning to understand that they need to, to make, make the change. They know they're not now early, early adopters. Um, but yes, it's trying to build that kind of whole life cost model for, for, for their company vehicles, which is, we, we all know, is tricky, especially for, for electric when you can pay anywhere between 20 and probably 85 pence a kilowatt to build a, a whole life cost model of actually what those vehicles will cost is is tricky but um certainly uh we're, we're being approached by by sme businesses to, to assist them in that journey that's really interesting and then i guess obviously where esg is you know it's like regulatory it's like you know forcing people's hands in some respect there's a similar element to that with consumer duty coming in obviously in just a matter of weeks now um, Martin, I think it probably has the most relevance to <laughs> to what what you're working on. Um, so I just say, you know, around that the implementation coming from end of July and open book. Um, what advice would you give to brokers based on your experience in terms of getting ready, getting things in place um, to make sure you can be compliant? Yeah, I think it. I would think brokers will fall into two main segments. Um, we will have in-house um, compliance teams that will be going through the data, and then you'll have perhaps the, the smaller brokers that will be taking external advice and looking for support. So, I mean, even those that have got in-house are going to need to to take advice. I mean, I think it for me, it's the most intense um, regulatory period in in my working life and I remember when the FCA came in it was a big change in some ways I feel the impact of consumer duty you know is even greater than that I mean the level of detail I mean it is it is proper cliched root and branch so um, take advice get an early liaise with the funders as well to, to understand where they're coming from too um, but I mean pretty much every process in our business has been you know, re-looked at, re-engineered, making sure it's fit for purpose. Um, so, 
we feel quite in control of the situation now but i mean it's been a, a lot of work a lot a lot of time um i do it's, it's important to say that i think the leasing broker sector in our segment will be stronger when we come out of it, I think some of the aspects that, that we need to take in with consumer duty will benefit the, the consumer, but will also benefit the businesses and indirectly, sorry, the, uh, the businesses have put it in place, but indirectly will also benefit um, SMEs and corporates that we deal with as well as some of the uh, best practice flows into those areas too. I'd, um, I'd echo that, Martin, somewhat. Um, we, we've reviewed how we do things how we communicate with people um it's a little bit of a cheesy saying but we believe that good outcomes start with good incomes um i don't mean financially i mean at the point when the inquiry comes into the business qualification is something that we're really really passionate about here making sure it's not just a financial product either it's a vehicle as well especially with the changing technologies um you know the fact that most drivers have never heard of a, an aura or know what a Polestar 2 is or or a BYD or whatever it would be. So I think slowing the process down, really understanding the customer's needs, not being afraid to challenge preconceptions if they've got something maybe slightly askew as well yeah. and walking them through that. I mean, we're, we're certainly going to be uh, ready for the, the deadlines, but I think what it has um, instilled in us is a desire to go from kind of good to great, really, in terms of yeah. communication. Um, for Fortunately, now, I mean, for, to echo Martin's sentiments, we've got external support uh, from a gentleman who spends roughly a day a month with us, and that has been invaluable. I can't recommend that enough for um, brokers of a similar size to us to go and get some help because you you you, do, you shouldn't be expected as to be able to be an expert in all of these areas across all the all the spaces. So get some some expert advice in. Yeah. Um, but again, fortunate as part of a larger group in Green Art now that we do have expertise around ops and customer experience and we are reviewing that that whole piece um both face-to-face -face video and kind of digital uh, stuff as well so um it is challenging but i think it's going to drive some good outcomes for us and for the the customers as well so positive there's one really important point that comes out but i think you know as part of defining what your offer is you really need to go back to basics you know the benefits of using a leasing broker and i think it's quite easy to forget sometimes and i mean this across the board that brokers drive competition you know there, there is sometimes a lazy misconception that brokers make commission but that assumes that brokers are adding a fee onto a commoditized product that you would buy at the same price from everyone else. Contract hire rates are subjective. The difference between one to 10 is massive. The amount of work that we go into for a consumer um, and, and, and matching prices and buying vehicles better, when you actually start to write it down yourself, you think, actually, we're not so bad after all. You know, I think you, <laughs> you sort of, there's a self congratulatory pat in the back, or maybe that's just me, I don't know. But um, <laughs> I, I, I think that. The term broker can vary from segment to segment. So I, I think from this, people will understand more. And even in our space, OEMs, funders, regulators, trade bodies, everyone will get a bit more um, detail about where the broker really adds value for the consumer. And I think that's been an important part of this process too, to remind ourselves of that. Yeah, but I guess from my side, to, to echo more more of Mark's uh, Mark's sentiments has given us an opportunity to to review our processes, um, look at what we're doing for our for our our kind of business customers. Um, also, I think 
you know, it's got to relate to salary sacrifice because although it's a business contract hire, it, it's some, you know, an individual that's paying for the hire of, of a vehicle. So it has allowed us to apply principles um, across our, our, our business customers, um, which, which I guess protects um, protects them, it d- delivers good outcomes and, uh, and it kind of future proofs um, their fleet and, uh, and, and our management of, the, of, of their fleets um, in the correct way. No, it's, it's great and I think that's a it collectively you know obviously the right interpretation the right approach of you know it collectively makes everything stronger it makes everything better to the benefit of everyone's business because you've got better outcomes better customer care better relationships that you can build um, I would just add a, a shameless plug for the BVRLA as is as is my want as as host point people towards the the trio of customers consumer duty um, training courses we've got which is sort of pitched at those different levels across the team to get everyone ready Um, and then we've also got our guidance pages which are sort of free to access to members with various webinars resources checklists so whether you're using sort of external support like you recommend mark bringing it in-house there's probably a a solution um, in there Um, paul obviously you referenced salary sacrifice there in a, a couple of times i think we've you know, we've collectively seen that that's been a huge growth area across huge parts of our membership over the last couple of years, predominantly from those fair benefiting kind of taxation rates on electric vehicles. Um, you also mentioned ESG. So I guess when you're, you know, when people are coming to you talking about salary sacrifice, what are you sort of finding are their key motivations or what are the key things that, sort of, you know, they're interested in or get them over the line from your perspective? Well, we've, we found it um, an interesting period um, in, in kind of uh, our first foray into the salary sacrifice because uh, I, I guess we've done a lot of learning um, in that it's, it's kind of that 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 dual sale really. We 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 pitched to the to the decision makers within an organisation. You've got to agree a policy with them, so you've got to meet all their demands and ensure that it's that the policy is fit for purpose. And then you're into the, the the real kind of guts of it, if you like, and you're dealing with the drivers on a day on on, on a kind of day to day basis, going to road shows, introducing the product to them. So we we actually learned a lot from a kind of like an HR. Um, it's kind of like a speed dating event that we went to. Um, we were meeting with with HR decision makers, and yeah, but. We find that potentially we deal with maybe the operations department, the finance department for the fleet vehicles, but it's a completely different department, usually payroll benefits and HR um, that, that would make the decisions on the salary sacrifice, salary sacrifice side of things. So their motivations are, are, are tend to be to, to ensure that it's a good product for, for their employees. Their employees are getting value; um, they, they can future-proof, so um, it's it, it's cost-neutral. But really, again, it comes to, down to it's, it's a benefit. So it's mm-hmm. attracting and retaining the best talent they possibly can, and uh, you know that's that's the main driver, the main motivation for the business, for for the employees, for the individuals. Um, you know, if they can see the savings. Um, especially as I mentioned, higher rate taxpayers, but also if they've got that um, outlook on life, they want to reduce their, their their carbon footprint. They can make that work. So it's it's different motivations from from the, the organisation to to the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark, do you have anything to add on that one? Paul answered that question very well, actually. So there's very little I can Thank add you, to that. Um, <laughs> 
but yeah, I, I, I would agree. I mean, the the motivation for these businesses is very rarely you sign in front of a business that wants to introduce this scheme because they're looking to save money. Um, naturally, they, they don't want it particularly to cost them any money, and it's easy for that to be the case. But it's about, I think it's it's quite a noisy market at the moment. There's some some big players there that have done a lot of everyone's marketing for them and raised awareness. When you do get signed in front of a, an SME or a business, they are aware of the concepts on, on a basic level. The sales cycle, of course, is, is longer with a salary sacrifice a contract simply because it's the first time that business perhaps has done this rather than traditional company fleet where they've, they've perhaps leased vehicles for 20 years mm. um but yeah it's, it's, it's all about a, and a benefit and re- recruitment and retention we keep coming back to it i mean i, I was reading yeah. the report that there's over a million jobs available in the uk at the moment getting talent is is tough uh, and keeping it is tough as well so that for us is is, is the main motivation i guess for the the businesses it's perhaps uh, difficult for them to understand the nuance in the different offers from the different providers there are single funder providers that maybe have a set way of doing it there are some brokers that are multi-funder and have maybe a, a more flexible approach to it we're certainly on, on that side of things um, and it's an interesting market I, I do think a lot of the providers that are looking at it at the moment may, may not actually commit to it in the long term I think there'll be a minority of the leasing broker sector that does it and does it well and, and does it with some longevity it does require a solution cell mindset rather than a transactional approach um but as paul alluded to once you've got that contract with the business you're then very much into retail sales mode if you will um these people don't need to take these cars they are a a, you know a benefit that is optional available to them so naturally you will convert much less in there than, than what you do in the in the fleet market but i'm a big fan of it i think it's great done well people can benefit and it's good for everybody amazing um and then i guess just as a bit of a, a left for one to the end obviously mark you mentioned earlier about sort of used the used market and sort of how that's maybe coming in i mean martin are you seeing you know or hearing from elsewhere sort of any of these other sort of types of products or different ways to to get vehicles to people that you would think maybe grow in popularity over the next sort of year or so beyond sort of the salary sacrifice and what we've discussed already. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of chat. I mean, subscription, uh, there's there's a lot of chat about subscription. Um, I think early days, time will tell. I think one area that could be overlooked is I think consumer duty will eventually improve some of our existing products. So I think it might knock some of the rougher edges um, of some products that exist. Some of the elements of business contract and personal contract that might need improved, you know, um, ETs, response times, early termination, should say. So I think there might be some, some scope in there as well. And just quickly circling back to salary sacrifice, I think, I think Mark said um, about perhaps it being a minority of leasing broker players that will end up doing it. I think that's a point well made because I think it's a a market that can consume an awful lot of time and there are many, many sort of um, rabbit holes that that people can go into. It's it's quite a unique product. It's very different to to what many brokers and leasing companies alike have have been used to selling. So there's a bit of caution, I would say, for anyone that's going into that. Have your eyes wide open and and don't think it's going to, to turn on overnight. But my view is things like subscription will have a part in their market, salary sacrifice will have a part in their market, but I'm, I firmly believe that the leasing 
products that we have attached to company car and, and EV growth will will see the market not change massively in the in, in the medium terms in terms in the medium term in terms of how that looks in terms of product. Um, a, <coughs> oh, no, go ahead. Sorry, Ed, I was just going to add. I'm, I'm I'm interested in what what happens in used EV market. I mean, there's a bit of pressure at the moment on our RVs, which can affect new lease cost. And also, as we know, there's a large proportion of the of the population that don't have off street parking that perhaps you know don't have the budget for a fifty grand EV. Um, so I'm interested to see what happens in used EV. I think at the moment there's a lack of knowledge, not just with the consumer, but also with the used car market as well, and how to sell these vehicles. Because ultimately, we'll have seen it with our our new car customers in B two B. This is perhaps the first time that person has driven or had an electric vehicle and i think dealers need to gear themselves up to be able to um do that kind of consultative sell to to consumers on use on used ev pcp perhaps um but yeah i'm watching that market with interest yeah i think i think that's an interesting point mark because i i, I don't really see in the retail market how um ev finds its finds its place without uh you know some some decent residual values um and also you mentioned kind of off street parking as well what we're kind of finding now that there seems to be a shift away from the conversations of range so that used to be always there was kind of 300 miles was the range that when you were discussing an ev that that was the, the the range that everybody was looking for but now it seems to be charging speed so that which to me, it seems like a, a a decent shift rather than thinking on how far can I go with a charge. It's like, well, if if I stop for half an hour, how much further can I can I get in my in in my EV? Which which is a real positive, because you you're kind of trying to shift away from stopping to charge, and you, you're kind of charging when stopped, if if you like. But um, it does seem like there's a positive positive moves. I just I, I can't really see not being in the. Um, B2C market, how, how it's going to shift and how you can move those those kind of ICE engine drivers into into EVs without without residuals being uh, being improved upon. Yeah, I think the the point you make there, Paul. I've heard the the phrase charge anxiety, sort of replacing range anxiety, which is yeah. what sort of dogged the, the EV market for so long. And I think you're absolutely right there. The used market is certainly one that, as an association, we're putting more more focus on we're having more conversations with you know government and policymakers around that we've got a host of events coming up one of which is next week actually looking at exactly that you know what what goes on with the batteries can people trust that you know an ev that's three years old is going to deliver x performance versus another one um sort of how you can standardize that how you can make it easier for the customers um, but as you say that whole question around residual values mm -hmm the sales process you know the used car dealer how are they having those conversations um so there's a lot we're doing as an association this year to to address that because you know through, through all of the good work and all of the trends we've been talking about we're getting all of these new electric vehicles onto the road and they have to go somewhere after three four five years and that's obviously where we're we're at now we're all almost at that tipping point um, but i think that there have been you know, solutions that certain members have been exploring with that sort of used lease, you know, giving a second life, an extra year or two to, to a vehicle before defleeting. Um, but yeah, we're looking at, are there, you know, tax incentives, cost of ownership pieces, the charge piece you mentioned as well, 
you know, if somebody can't charge at home, what is the alternative, regardless mm-hmm. of what their cost is? Um, so yeah, and that, that's probably a, a separate podcast that we'll be doing in, <laughs> in due course, I'm sure. Um, I think that that probably um, brings us quite nicely full circle. I mean, I'd just put one one final catch-all question to to all of you is in how do you see you know the rest of 2023 going are you optimistic concerned buoyant um i'll start with you mark optimistic concerned buoyant (laughs) 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 patrick (laughs) no it's like like i opened up with earlier it's it's a really you know I've, i've never been more enthused about our market than what we are now i think um electrification of transport is uh, well, not just electrification transport, just just decarbonisation and net zero. This whole move to a, a green economy is like you know, it's like the industrial revolution, the dot com. It's, it's it's a big, big part of our lives and kind of a once in a career opportunity for a lot of the people in our sector. So you can't fail but be excited by it and embrace it. Um, but let you know at the same time there there are challenges. So I think we've got to, to run a good ship, look after our customers, keep the people that we've that we've got on board, uh, push for that that steady. Growth. Growth. I think there's an opportunity for us to educate as well. We've, um, again, if I if I may shamelessly plug, we've just launched a, a national events campaign uh, last month that we're going to be doing around 12 to 14 events over the next 12 months, um, where we are educating drivers and businesses about about EV salary sacrifice, etc. Because I think there's there's a lot of work to do there, and I don't think the government's going to do it all for us. So as a sector, we've got to take the lead and and support our customers to understand this move to ev mm-hmm. um paul uh yeah i would echo that mark um i'm certainly say more optimistic in 2023 than uh, the previous two years um green shoots um of recovery for for supply um for our sme customers uh, we're approaching the the oems there, there's certainly more support available um than, than there has been in in recent uh, in recent years we'll see how we we go with salary sacrifices uh, it's an exciting time for, for for that product um incredibly excited about about the products in the market though um in terms of ev the tech that's available to to assist drivers uh, in, in whether they're suitable for for ev infrastructure seems to be to be improving as well although sometimes you know, uh, building uh, big charging ports with lot, lot seven kilowatt chargers, maybe not not the way to go. There's a bit of that happening in Scotland and Stirling and in Dundee. So that that maybe needs to improve. But but over the piece, I think um, we we've seen twenty the rest of twenty twenty three being a, a bit of a positive. Hopefully, we get a lot more cars out the door than we have um, over the last eighteen months. So yeah, all positive. Excellent, and Martin to to bring us home. Yeah, cautiously optimistic. I think, um, as the guys have said, supply is improving. Um, demand, as long as the economic outlook remains steady, I think I think we should be okay. I think increased electrification can can help all of the um, the business in our sector that that focus on on good company car products and salary sacrifice and the like. And I think if I look at our stats, it's encouraging. I think only a third of our orders now are ICE um, vehicles, which is 
which is really good. And I think if we keep pushing on, as long as the greater the push for electrification, the more we will do in the company car space, the more we will improve in terms of salary sacrifice. Um, so as long as um, the government can keep the economy on track and uh, the OEMs can continue to have the pockets of stock being available, then I think um, this year will be decent for the leasing broker space and funders alike. Fantastic. It's in encouraging to hear um, with that you know, cautious optimism, as you all, all reference. Um, I'll just say th thanks so much for your time. Obviously, um, look forward to seeing, I think, all of you and, and many of our colleagues at the Leasing Broker Conference, um, which is on the 21st of June this year, earlier than its previous October spot. Um, obviously, free, free to attend for BVRLA members. So if you haven't already, log on. I'm saying that to my guests and those of you listening. Um, but I'll, I'll leave it there. Thanks so much for your time, guys. Um, some really valuable insights. Um, and look forward to hearing more in due course. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, guys. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you click the subscribe button. Please leave a rating or review and feel free to share this on your social platforms.